When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Welcome back to Working Overtime, the advice forward aperitivo to Working's <laughs> bottle of Chablis. I'm Isaac Butler. And I'm June Thomas. June, we got a listener email lately, Whoa. and I thought it was really interesting, and I'd really like to pick your brain about it. Does that sound good? That sounds amazing. As we say here in Edinburgh, sock it to me, daddy There you go. Uh, our writer asked to remain anonymous, so there's no name on this one. And here's our working overtime producer, Kevin Bendis, reading it for us. Hi, Working. My question has to do specifically with the theme of illustration. I've been trying to break into the illustration scene for years now. I studied to be an engineer, but ditched my career in tech to get into visual design and branding in the hope that this would lead me closer to illustration. I love to read and to illustrate, so I hoped one day to be illustrating books. However, I'm starting to realize that the market is overflowing with brilliant talent and there aren't enough jobs. A lot of commissions are really low paying unless they're the top tier ones. Getting to a place of reasonable success after years of working hard at your craft without an end in sight or a sense of what that reward might look like feels more and more daunting. I wonder if I should just go back to corporate, which albeit is a bit dry, but at least guarantees some sort of goal system, some sort of career path. So here's my question. How do you decide when to let go of a creative dream? Is passion worth pursuing at the cost of all other choices in your life? So first, listener, I just want to say, we're not saying your name, but thank you so much for writing in with this great, great, great question. Before we get to an actual answer, I feel like, June, that this provoked as many questions for me, you know, follow-up questions in a way as it did any actual solution to the problem. Because I just feel like there's a lot of assumptions working here, and I'd love to like unpack them with you a bit. Yeah. So first, I can't actually tell how deep into pursuing an illustration career our listener has actually ventured. It sounds a bit like they're maybe at the very beginning. I'm going to use the hackiest of metaphors here. Like, you know, they're at the bottom of the mountain. They're staring at the top. Of, the peak is disappearing into the clouds. And they're like, do I even want to bother starting to climb this fucking thing? Was that your impression? And if it was, how do you make the mountain less daunting? Oh, God, I don't know any more mountain metaphor words, so I'm going to have to abandon that. Pythons, is that what they're called? Yes, yes. B on belay? Yeah, I need to belay. Yeah, no, I really don't know any more words. But, but yes, that was also my impression. I mean, I don't know exactly how long they've been trying this new path, but I also got the sense they're in the early stages of this second creative career. And I think one of the tricky things when you move from a field that has a really clear employment style career path, you know, like engineering to a creative pursuit is figuring out how to measure how well or maybe even not so well you're doing. And so I'm going to suggest something generic because I don't know if this exists in a form that our advice seeker can access, but I would recommend trying to find or maybe even form some kind of support group, whether it's a long-standing organization or an ad hoc 
like maybe even social media driven thing that meets on Zoom or WhatsApp or something. Like look for a group of peers, you know, in this case, that would be freelance illustrators to try to network and be a resource for each other. You know, if several people are running into the same kind of issue, that might be instructive. You might also hear things like don't pitch to company X because they treat freelancers poorly. And talking to your peers might well serve as a reality check. That is a really great mountain climbing tip, June, and we'll have uh, some more of them after this. What's the best way to learn a language? Immersion. Living where the language is spoken and using it every day in everyday situations. But if that's not on the cards this year, you can still learn a language the second best way. And that's with Babbel. I've used apps in the past to learn new languages, but when I came across Babbel, I wondered if it could help me refresh my knowledge of a language I once spoke well, but was now a little bit or quite a lot rusty. I have to say, I was impressed. The advanced lessons were really useful, tips and idioms that can help with in-depth conversations on topics that I can actually imagine chatting about. Babbel's quick 10-minute lessons are handcrafted by over 200 language experts to help you start speaking a new language in as little as three weeks. Babbel is designed by real people for real conversations, and the tips and tools are approachable, accessible, rooted in real-life situations, and delivered with conversation-based teaching so you're ready to practice what you've learned in the real world. What's more, all of Babbel's 14 award-winning language courses are backed by their 20-day money-back guarantee. Here's a special limited-time deal for working listeners. Right now, get up to 60% off your Babbel subscription, but only for working listeners, at babbel.com working. Get up to 60% off at babbel.com working, spelled B-A-B-B-E-L dot com working. Rules and restrictions may apply. Hey, listeners, do you need some practical advice? Would you like to get it from us? We would love to give it. Please get in touch with us. Ask your questions. You can email us at workingatslate.com or even better, you can call us and leave a message at 304-933-9675. That's 304-933-WORK or send us a voicemail to working at slate.com. And now back to working overtime. All right, June. Another question I have is about this sort of binary they outline, right? You know, on the one side, you can have an unsatisfying but remunerative career as a corporate drone, or you can have a creative career that is fulfilling, but maybe you live in penury. Is that binary <laughs> true or, or not? I mean, almost everyone I know who has a creative career also has at least a half-time day job of sorts. Uh, is this something specific to the world of illustration I'm not understanding or what? I don't know. I do think that there is a widely held sense in a general way that an artistic career is always going to be financially challenging. And do you really want to challenge that? But I do think that, at least in the kinds of illustration work that I'm familiar with, which tends to be around like spot illustrations for newspapers or online magazines, which, yes, is a field that's shrunk a ton in the last few years, it usually requires a quick turnaround because the illustrations are topical and, you know, they, they're moving for a sort of newsy deadline. And it can be hard to do that if you have a day job that keeps you busy. So I do think that, like, 
combining illustration with a sort of drony, you know, corporate job would be specifically extra challenging. Right, right. I guess it's sort of like what kind of illustration are we talking about here? Yeah. Right? If it's and illustration for children's books or whatever, you might be able to do that at night and work whatever your day job is for money Absolutely. during the day. But if if it is the kind of like the team that does the headline images for Slate, for example, you know, like that's a real quick turnaround and you can't you can't do that on your lunch break, exactly. you know, while you're um I don't know, an ad executive or, <laughs> you know, <laughs> right. or, or whatever. So before we get to the meat of their inquiry, I know this is a lot of preamble, but <laughs> I do want to say one thing, which is like, it is definitely true that freelance rates in all sorts of creative industries are cratering. They've been cratering for a long time. We keep discovering new craters to explore with the wages <laughs> for freelancers, particularly in workplaces that aren't unionized. And I have a feeling that that's going to get even worse in the world of illustration now that there's very sophisticated AI tools like Dolly or... You know the ones yeah. I'm talking yep, about that can, that can execute things at a fairly high level if you don't care about them feeling human. And, you know, we are in a particularly tough time to be entering the illustration business, and I don't want to minimize that. Absolutely. Uh, it was already a tough field, and it's already gone through a whole bunch of transitions from this was something that would be a staff job to being mostly freelance to there being even fewer freelance assignments. And now bots are coming for illustrators' lunches. It is truly a terrible business. And I don't know why we all didn't become engineers. Oh, wait. Yeah. Me, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Me as an engineer, that's, that's, you know, just going to hear the sound of things breaking and people catching on fire in the background. <laughs> Enough procrastinating. What about their actual question? When or how do you know that it is time to hang it up? Or as they put it, let go of the creative dream. Okay. So I don't know if I'm going to answer the exact question that they asked, but in my role as the host who loves to consume and then regurgitate productivity porn, I feel that this is where I should mention the famous in the field Derek Sivers blog post, How to Do What You Want and Make Good Money, which was included in a book that I've read, Isaac, but I doubt that you have. It's called Hell Yeah or No. I have not read it, but great title. <laughs> so his basic takeaway is that you should, quote, do something for love and something for money. Don't try to make one thing satisfy your entire life. Ideally, he says, you should have a day job that pays well enough so that you have stability in life. And then you can focus on your art in your free time. And that way you can do the art for art's sake rather than stressing that, for example, your illustration skills have to pay the rent or feed your kids. Theoretically, at least, this also means that you can take a day job. I believe in the letter writer's case, it was an engineering job that is less soul-sucking than if it, if you were really maximizing to have like absolute career success. Mm -hmm. um, Sivers recommends something that pays well because it requires special training or experience. But he says, quote, this is a head choice, not a heart choice, since you're not trying to make your job your entire life. That feels pretty practical to me. So I'm curious what you think of it. Yeah. You know, I keep thinking about, you know, in the old days, uh, when New York was a cheap place to live, mm -hmm. you know, like every artist had some weird day job there. I mean, yeah. Philip Glass and 
was a cab driver and then he and Steve Reich had a furniture moving business <laughs> together. And, you know, there's always the like move to the city and become a waiter while you audition or, yeah. you know, now yeah. the city's too expensive to live in if you're a waiter. So it's like move to the city and become a hedge fund trader so that you can also become a waiter in your spare time and then become an actor or whatever, you know? (laughs) So part of it is also that it it is getting harder to do that kind of stuff. But I do think that this idea of making the head decision about the job and being like, this is just for money might get you in such a situation that you actually have freed up mental space for the art. I have some other ideas I want to put to you, but we'll talk about that after this. Listeners, here is where I want to remind you that if you are enjoying working overtime, please subscribe. That way you will never miss an episode. And if you listen on Apple Podcasts, we would love for you to rate and review the show. It really does help new listeners to find us and... If Overcast is your podcast app of choice, as it is mine, please hit the star to recommend the episode to others. And now, back to working overtime. June, I was just thinking about the thing that you were saying about the, you know, the head choice of the job versus the art choice of the art. And, And I guess how I would ask that, having not read, hell yeah or no, is, you know, is the dream having illustration be part of your life? Or is the dream, because they talked about giving up a creative dream, or is the dream to make illustration a remunerative full-time job? The latter may genuinely not be possible. I have no idea. You know, I think it varies region to region, country to country, field to field of illustration. Mm -hmm. I I really Mm -hmm. don't know, and I don't want to pretend to say. It may take more luck and more time and more putting up with having less materially than the writer is willing to do. And that's totally fine, by the way. It is okay to say, I don't want to live a life of penury for the sake of my art. We we can't all do that. But it could also be that making visual art illustrating something that that is a fulfilling part of one's life that isn't really about making money. It's just about the way that it nurtures your soul. Exactly. And, you know, these days, it's really easy to put your work out there. You know, you can just kind of the the visual equivalent of a blog, you know, do whatever you can to have it be discovered by people who will appreciate it, which may be, but may not be people who will pay you for it, you know. But if this is something that enhances your life, that you enjoy, that gives you a rush, don't feel that you need to give it up altogether just because it doesn't cover your expenses. And I do think we'd be remiss since we procrastinated so long before answering their actual question to go to this this last part. Is passion worth pursuing at the cost of all other choices in your life? What do you think about that? At the cost of all of the choices, that's a really high bar. And I am reminded of a term that Jessamine West, who was one of my guests on Working in 2022, used, vocational awe. Jessamine is a librarian, and it's apparently something that librarians are prone to. I think writers, artists, musicians, they're certainly prone to vocational awe too. You know, it really is magical to have a talent that allows you to create something out of nothing. You know, anybody who works in the media or the arts could earn twice as much as they do working in another field. So we're definitely all subject to it. But I also 
don't know that it's terribly healthy. And I say that as somebody who has definitely given into the romance and made a whole bunch of life choices that don't necessarily make sense from any perspective other than, oh, this is really fun and I really like doing it and it's what I really want to do. You know what I mean? Yeah, you know, I'm reminded of the Sondheim song Finishing the Hat from Sunday in the Park with George, which gave the title to his two books of of mm-hmm. lyrics, right? One is called yeah. Finishing the Hat and one is called Look, I Made a Hat, which is one of the last lines in the song. And, you know, that song is about George Surratt painting a hat on his very famous uh I can't even pronounce it, but, you know, Sunday in the Park or the... The Grandchette. Yeah, 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 exactly. Thank you. And while he's, you know, doing the dots to finish that hat, his relationship, his romantic relationship is ending. It's It's been destroyed by his pursuit of this artwork at all, at all other costs. But the thing that he has that comforts him, because he keeps singing about how he's, you know, left his lover and she's alone and he's alone and isn't he heartbroken, is that he made this hat, right? And... Like a lot of Sondheim, it's very ambivalent about how you're supposed to take that song, right? Is painting a hat on a time painting worth being alone your whole life, you know? And I think that different people answer that question in a lot of different ways. It's something that in an episode of Working a few weeks ago, I was talking about with Karen about like, really, the question is actually less about what are you willing to give up or, you know, is the sacrifice worth it as what kind of life do you actually want and what kind of life do you actually want to build and what kind of life are you willing to put up with in the meantime? So like when I moved from directing to writing and went to graduate school and everything like that, it was not only because I was struggling as a director, because I was, I don't want to minimize that, but it's also because I saw what success as a freelance director working in the new play field looked like. And it was a life that would have me on the road six months a year. And my wife and I wanted to have a child, you know, and I didn't want to be an absentee father. And I talked a bunch with friends of mine who had that kind of success and asked them to describe their lives and decided that I didn't want it. I did not That passion was not worth pursuing at the cost of all the other choices in my life. And so I think in a weird way, it's like a kind of big gestalt question. Mm -hmm. And and when you look at the totality of your life, you'll be able to answer that question for yourself a lot better than than we can on this show, even though we do have such pleasant voices and we're so smart and everything. (laughs) Yeah. No, and I think, too, that the fact that our letter writer asked this question, you know, that it was it was kind of bugging them so much that they wanted to get another perspective or another couple of perspective just kind of shows that there's a good chance that they might decide that, look, I could have a kind of a safe life, a more conventional life, doing the thing that I train for, but I'm not sure I really want it. I mean, the fact that they're asking it, it should be an easy question, right? And the fact that you answer it means that you're really considering doing it. And that would be great, but that's really up to you. Yeah, you know, you said something there that I think is really valuable, which is a conventional life. And, you yeah. know, one of the things that asking these kinds of questions and going through this kind of process really forces you to think about is like, do I want this thing, you know, a house in the suburbs with a picket fence or, you know, whatever it is. Do I yeah. want this thing because I've been told to want this thing? Yeah. Yeah. By people who couldn't see other options as valid. Or do I actually want this thing? And that's a really important question to be asking. 
So I'm incredibly grateful to our uh, anonymous letter writer this week. And, and listeners, I hope that you've enjoyed this. And if you have your own questions or creative dreams or problems or successes or whatever, just drop us a line at workingitslate.com. We would love to hear from you. And also, don't forget to subscribe to Working wherever you get your podcasts. Thank you to our producer, Kevin Bendis, and to Working's supervising producer, Cameron Drews. We would never give up the dream of working with you two. We'll be back with another episode of Working Overtime in two weeks. And on Sunday, you'll find a regular episode of Working in your feed. Until then, get back to work. 